0: Hello once again, it's wonderful to be with you, Bible open, ready to hear God speak. Uh, my name's Greg, I'm one of the ministers at OEC, and we're going to be looking today at John 14, verses 15 to 31. So make sure you have your Bibles open to that point, uh, and let's look at God's great word together. And as we do, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the, for the wonderful gift of your Son. We thank you for the wonderful gift of your powerful word, and for the gift of your Spirit. And so we pray that you would work in us by your Spirit, that we might know you better, we might love you more, that we might love you with obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. The Holy Spirit. Who is he? What does he do? What is he? Is he, is he a person? Is he a powerful force? Uh, the church used to call him the Holy Ghost, which sounds a little bit spooky and weird, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit comes across as a little strange, otherworldly, unknowable. The Father, you know, we get to meet him as the God who creates, as the God who saved Israel, as the God who spoke at Mount Sinai, the God who judges, the God who acts and speaks. The Father, we get God the Father. The Son, Jesus Christ, who we meet in the flesh, who was born, who healed and taught and cared and loved and died. And rose from the dead. He'll come again in power and glory to judge the living and the dead, the Son. We get God the Son. But the Spirit, like, where do you even start? If I were to ask you, who is the Spirit? How would you even begin to answer that question? It seems to be connected as you read through the Bible with great and powerful acts of God, uh, the prophets who spoke by the Spirit, God's words who shut the mouths of lions and things like that. Judges and kings who, by the Spirit, defeated enemies and nations. The New Testament. The apostles who, by the Spirit, healed the sick and raised the dead and were given superhuman boldness to speak. But what does that have to do with us thousands of years after the resurrection of Jesus? Who is the Spirit to you and I? What does he mean for us? John 14 to 16, these chapters are one of the great passages in the New Testament on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we begin to look through those chapters today, we will sit at the feet of Jesus as we have done over the last few weeks and listen as he teaches us how the work of the Spirit and the work of the Son can never, ever be separated. And so as we sit at the feet of Jesus again today, In the second half of John 14, we will meet the Spirit, the Counselor. We will see the Spirit who brings the very presence of the living God. We will see that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And we will see that the work of the Spirit is to bring about the great work of love and obedience in those who follow Jesus. So number one, the Spirit, the Counselor. So today we're picking up the conversation of Jesus with the disciples. And Jesus is really mid-speech in verse 15. He says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit. Like, what does Jesus mean when he calls the Spirit the counsellor? Other translations will use words like comforter or, or helper. And these words can make the Holy Spirit sound like someone who, who is with you in a hard time and says, there, there, it's going to be okay. It can give that impression, but that's certainly not what this word means. A good counsellor, a good comforter, a good helper will not get beside you and say insipid words. They will strengthen you. They will remind you of things you need to hear and actually help you, even challenge you. The word in this verse for counsellor literally means someone who comes alongside to help. But what does the Spirit actually help us in? Well, as we work through these chapters of John in the coming weeks, we will see that there are, there are a whole stack of ways that the Spirit comes to help us alongside us. The Spirit brings to us the presence of the Father and the Son. The Spirit changes us so that we might be people who love and obey Jesus. The Spirit reminds the disciples, the apostles, of the words and the teachings of Jesus while he was with them. We'll see these three things in the passage we look at today. But also, later on, the Spirit testifies about Jesus and also helps us in our task in testifying about Jesus to the world. And the Spirit We'll see, will also convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And in all these different ways, what we see is that the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit continues the work that Jesus does and did in this world. And if we go back to the beginning of our passage today, we will see this really clearly set out for us. John 14, verse 16 I will ask the Father, and he will give you. Another counsellor. So, so the spirit is another counsellor. And if he is another counsellor, then who was the first counsellor? Well, clearly the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the one who came alongside to help. He helped and healed the lost and the broken. He taught the truth to people lost in deception and the lies of the world. He came to us in our need and he died on the cross to take away the anger that we deserve from him and from the father. Jesus came alongside to help. But Jesus has made crystal clear to the disciples. He is leaving. He's going away. He's going to the cross and then to the Father. His work on earth will end. But where his work ends, the Spirit's work begins. Jesus' role has been to help, to save, to restore, to bring life and truth to a lost and broken world, and it's the Spirit who will continue his role in this world once he's gone. You cannot separate the work of Jesus and the work of the Spirit. Now, the remaining points about the Spirit in this talk that we're looking at and the passage that we're looking at today are really different aspects of what it means that the Spirit is our counsellor, our helper. So our next point on the work of the Spirit, the Spirit and the presence of God. Jesus has said to the disciples so many times, he said, I'm leaving you. He's departing to the cross and then to the Father. Jesus keeps banging on about his departure and the disciples are getting increasingly concerned. And into this concern, Jesus speaks in these verses of the promise of the presence of the Spirit and with the Spirit, the promise of the presence of the Father and the Son. You can see it through this section. Verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. Verse 17, you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, he says. How will Jesus come to them? In the person of the Spirit. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, they will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. How will the father and the son come to us and and make his home within us? Through the presence of the spirit. I love the way that Jesus speaks about it here. God makes his home or his abode with us. It is by the spirit that we are made fit for the presence of the living God. We are at home with God. With God is where we belong. You might have heard the saying, you know, I'm sure we all have, home is where the heart is. There's there's a sense of truth in that. Home's not a building, it's not a it's not a house. It's a place where we feel comfortable and at peace. But in this world, that peace that we might find in our homes is so easily fractured and broken and fragile. What Jesus is saying here is that our true home is when we are home with God. That's what our heart yearns for and longs for, to be home in the presence of the living God, our maker, who knows us better than we know ourselves, who who knows what is right and good for us as our maker and our judge, who, who loves us so deeply, so profoundly, that in Christ he came and died for our sins to make us his children, to make us his home. When we put our trust in Jesus, we receive the wonderful, the powerful gift of the Spirit, we become the home, the temple of the living God. Can you just begin to fathom how, how wonderful and amazing that is? Do you trust in the Lord Jesus? If your answer to that question is yes, then do you know and appreciate that the Spirit is within you? And do you begin to fathom how amazing and wonderful that is? Have a look at these words from Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 11. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit, who lives in you. Paul is making it crystal clear in these verses, if you belong to Christ, if you trust in Jesus, then you have the spirit of Christ. Christ is in you through the presence of the spirit within you. But how do we know the spirit is within us? Is it some feeling in our we get in our guts? Will we feel different by having the spirit in us? No, not necessarily. The evidence of the Spirit is not a strange feeling inside, nor is it some strange miraculous phenomenon like speaking in tongues or the ability to do miracles. So how do we know that the Spirit is inside us? Romans 8 tells us that the evidence of the Spirit is a changed life, the work of putting sin to death. And so it's not surprising when we come back to John 14 to 16 that we see the same work of the Spirit in that passage. But we'll come to that in a little bit. I want to finish on that point. But what else do we learn about the Spirit in these chapters, in these verses? Well, we see that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. What does it mean that Jesus is the spirit of truth? Why not say that, Jesus, that the spirit is the spirit of life, for instance? Well, the spirit is the spirit of life. He breathes new life into us. But he does that by testifying to and bearing witness to and convicting people of the truth that is Jesus himself. And that's what Jesus continues to say about the Spirit through these chapters of John. So in John 14, verse 26, the Spirit will teach the disciples all the things that he's taught them and remind them of the things that Jesus said. John 15, verse 26, the Spirit will testify about Jesus. John 16, verse 8, the Spirit will convict the world of guilt and sin and righteousness. The work of the Spirit is all about the truth that is revealed to us in Jesus Through the Spirit, we come to know the truth, the truth that is a person of Jesus, the truth revealed in his work, in him, the infleshed word of God. And so once again, we see you cannot separate the work of the Spirit from the work of Jesus the Son. But let's go back to the words about the Spirit of truth in our passage for today. John 14, verses 25 to 26, where Jesus says, This about the work of the Spirit. He says the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. What What exactly is Jesus saying about the Spirit in these verses? Is he saying that the Spirit has been sent to teach us all these things and remind us of everything Jesus said to us? No, these passages, these verses aren't speaking about how the Spirit will remind us of Jesus' words. Other passages will speak about the Spirit's work in testifying to Jesus and convicting us of the truth. But in these verses, the words of Jesus, what he's talking about is the ministry that Jesus has had to the disciples in particular. Those who are with him, listening to him speak. What we have is an astounding promise in these verses of the New Testament. Jesus is speaking to the disciples who are in the room with him that night. And it is clear he's promising this work of the Spirit to those who are physically there with him. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you. He's not saying that about us. We're not the ones that are there with him. But he's speaking about those physically in the room with him that night, who he's taught over the last three years of ministry with them. These verses are the promise of Jesus that the Spirit will remind the disciples of his words to them, of his ministry, of everything Jesus said to them. And this is a promise we know that Jesus kept because we have the evidence in our hot little hands in the New Testament. These words are the words of Jesus Christ spoken to the disciples, reminded, inspired, taught by the Spirit, written down for us with all the authority of the promised Word of God. What a fantastic promise Jesus has given us in these two verses. I've said it twice already. I'll say it once again. You cannot separate the work of Jesus and the work of the Spirit. That's what we keep seeing through these verses, through these chapters, through the rest of the New Testament. I was once attending a church in Sydney that began to shift the emphasis of its ministry from the work of Jesus to what they understood as the work of the Spirit. In the past, they were pouring their energy into gospel preaching, in evangelism training, in word ministry like that. But then the emphasis changed and they started focusing on what they would see as the miraculous works of the Spirit on tongues and healings and slaying of the Spirit and direct words of knowledge from the Spirit to people and and new words of prophecy. And I was along with the ride for some months, brought along by it. But then someone took me to the words of Jesus in John 14, 15 and 16 and showed me that you can't separate the work of Jesus and the work of the Spirit. And then when I went back to my church... What I noticed was that Jesus had faded into the background. His finished work on the cross had become old news. Yes, they believed that Jesus died for their sins, but that wasn't where the heart and soul of the Christian life and Christian ministry was for that church. It was in this new and direct work of the Spirit, as they saw it, almost devoid of the person and the work of Jesus. And so once I realised that, I left that church. If people speak about the work of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, and the person and work of Jesus is all but forgotten, then you can be certain of this, that that's not the work of the Spirit, because you can't separate the work of Jesus and the work of the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't bring a new teaching, a new word, a new prophecy. He testifies to, reminds of, bears witness to, and convicts of the teaching of Jesus. As Jesus points to the Father, so the Spirit points to Jesus. And this is a mighty and wonderful and powerful work. And this brings us to the final thing we learn about the Spirit in these verses. And that is that the Spirit is the Spirit of love and obedience. Have a look at where this passage began. Verse 15 of chapter 14. If you love me, you will do what I command you. And then Jesus connects this love and obedience with the gift of the Spirit in verse 16. And that connection is no accident. Because in the history of God's chosen Old Covenant people, Israel, this love and obedience had been a perennial problem. God's people habitually disobeyed God and showed through this disobedience that they did not love God. Think about it. God saved his people, Israel, from the Egyptians, through miraculous signs and wonders, through powerful acts of judgment and salvation. He gave them his great and powerful word at Mount Sinai. And they immediately respond, how? By making a golden calf, an idol, and saying about this golden calf, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And the history of Israel from that point on is a history of rebellion and sin and lovelessness and disobedience and indifference to God. And God's repeated response is one of patient love and warning and finally judgment and curse again and again and again. And then in Ezekiel 36, God reminds the Israelites of this terrible history of theirs. And he then makes this astounding promise. In Ezekiel 36, it's a promise of the Spirit. He says, I will will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. When the Spirit comes, He will come to change us. He will bring about this miraculous work of a changed heart and a changed life. He will move us to obey His laws, which is exactly what Jesus speaks about in John chapter 14 and the ministry of the Spirit. There's a repeated connection between love and obedience in these verses. So verse 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Verse 21 Whoever has my commands and obeys them is the one who loves me. And in verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. He's crystal clear, isn't he? You cannot love Jesus and think that obedience to him is an optional extra. Obedience to his commands and his words is the necessary fruit of people who love Jesus. If we think that the commands and words of Jesus are, just interesting, great to study, great to listen to, but I don't need to obey them. They don't change my life. And what we actually show is we don't love Jesus at all. Love of Jesus is not about feelings, though they will most likely be there as well. Love of Jesus is not just about enjoying time spent with other Christians, although that should be there too. Love of Jesus is shown ultimately in obeying his words. And so we need to think of ourselves as, as more than just worshippers of Jesus or lovers of Jesus. We need to think of ourselves as well as obedient subjects of Jesus and love him with devoted obedience. So when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, do we respond to that as a command from the God who loves us? Do we respond with obedience? Or do we just see it as a nice idea that we might try and do every now and then on a good day if it suits if we feel like it? That doesn't show love of Jesus at all, does it? If we love Jesus, we will obey what he says. We will seek to do what he says because he loves us and commands our obedience. Think about it. If you say, oh, I respect my boss or I respect my lecturer or my prime minister or teacher or parent, And yet if we think that their commands are optional extras and irrelevant to our our life and how we treat them, then we show that we actually don't have any respect for them at all. You might say nice things about them to others. We might think and say that they're great people, but if you don't obey their authority over you, then you can't really say that you respect them at all. So, how are you going at this required response? This love of Jesus shown in obedience. Yes, this is a work of the Spirit, but it's not a work that He does without us. It's a work that He does in us that we too need to work hard at. So, yes, we will struggle in this. We will fail at times. We will disobey. But when that happens, do we dust ourselves off and then apologise to God and then renew our determination to love Him and obey Him? and then ask for his help once again? Is that how we respond? Or do we just shrug our shoulders and say, oh, it doesn't really matter? we We will struggle with this until we die. But we need to ask the question of ourselves, do I love Jesus? Because if I love Jesus, I will grow in obedience. Jesus left the disciples, but he didn't leave them alone. And He hasn't left us alone either. He has sent the Spirit, and with the coming of the Spirit, the Father and the Son are present with us, in us, present to do a miraculous work, that work of changing us so that we would love Jesus and obey His commands, among other things. So will you give yourself to this miraculous work, knowing that God is at work in you? If you trust in Jesus... You know that you have the Spirit of God working inside you to do it. So you can give yourself to this eternal work with astounding confidence. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your Spirit. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have sent the Spirit to us. Thank you that he testifies to you. Thank you that he points us to you. Thank you that it convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And Father, we pray that we would listen. We pray that we would come to your word and that by your spirit, you would change our hearts. Forgive us of the ways that we haven't loved you in obedience. Father, help us to show our love for you in genuine obedience. And when we fall, help us to be people who apologize to you. Say sorry. Accept what you've done for us. And again, ask for your help. Father, do this miraculous work. Change us. Give us a heart that loves to and longs to do what you say. And we pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.